Well, certainly the songs that we've heard today, I pray, have moved your affections for our God in preparing to hear God speak to us. The service up to this point has been us speaking to Him, and I know He speaks to you through His Holy Spirit, but when it comes to this particular moment, we might call the moment of truth, God is ready to speak to us. And He only speaks to us what He's written in His Word in Genesis through Revelation. Nothing will ever contradict what He has given us in His Holy Word. Acts chapter 1, let's pick up beginning in verse 6 and read down through verse 11. This morning I want to talk to you about the ascension, ascension of Christ. Let's stand and read those words. Beginning in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And our text for today, And when He had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. To God be the glory. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. What an unforgettable moment. We cannot, as Bible-believing New Testament Christians ever, underestimate the glory of the resurrection of Jesus. We have sung about that today. But whereas He arose in secret, He ascended openly and visibly, as we read in the text, before the astonished eyes of his disciples, of which he had spent three years with. His resurrection was a triumph in the highest order. Think of that. It signaled the absolute conquest and defeat of the grave forever for Christ and for all of his own, you and me. The resurrection is huge. But that a man in a human body should defy gravity... And slowly but surely ascend upwards to the sky has to be a crowning wonder to a life full of incredible wonders. Amen? For them to see this particular instant take place. So the Holy Spirit, when you read Acts, considers the ascension of Jesus Christ to be so vitally important that no less than 20 times he uses and talks about the ascension And he uses 13 different words to reflect the different shades of meaning for us in regard to the ascension. So thus the Son of God went home. He didn't disappear. He went home to be with his Father, angel, escort, and all. And all the way back to his glory, which he had known before. But this time it was different. He went home in a human body, howbeit glorified. You thought about that? We believe in the bodily ascension 
of the Lord of glory. Not just spiritual, not a phantom, but the bodily ascension up to his father's right hand. So he had a battle scarred, yes, amen, right? Resurrected glorified body. And he went into the glory land along the streets of gold, watched by angel throngs up to the throne of heaven to his father to take his seat, rightful seat, at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the God-man is now seated on God's throne to the right side of the Father. And the place where he sits, he belongs to be there. That's where he belongs. The spiritual significance of the ascension must not be overlooked. And maybe you've never heard a sermon on the ascension. Raise your hand if you've never heard a sermon on the ascension. Wow. See there? Lots and lots of them. I don't know why it's right here in the text. Right? But so often, uh, Bible teachers and pastors skip over things that either they think are insignificant or they just plain hadn't read their Bibles, right? And they're not seeing the significance of it. But it means today for you that you have an advocate with the Father. If Jesus did not ascend to heaven, you have no advocate before the Father. Thus, you have no salvation. Think about how serious this is. We have a mediator in heaven Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he's able to to minister on behalf of those he has perfected for all time. Even Job, which is perhaps the oldest book in the Bible, Job asked for a daysman. One that could be that mediator before the Lord. If you want to read that, read Job chapter 9, you will see it. As Philip Bliss so wonderfully wrote, hallelujah, what a savior we have, right? Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So Christ's final mission statements take on a more dramatic sense because of his ascension. We can't separate the text, right? That's why I backed up. What are the parting words? Don't be concerned about days and times and seasons. Let me... Let me get you recalculated on the scope and the timing and the manner of the kingdom and what I'm encouraging you to do. It's not for you to build your own little world in Jerusalem. That's not the goal. But you're going to take the gospel. Remember what that means. He is Yahweh God. You're going to take my name, Yahweh God, to the ends of the earth. And you're going to tell people about me. And I'm going to take my universal gospel and make it universal in experience in application, in proclamation, and that's exactly why you are here today. And that's exactly why God is continuing to do it today, because that was His promise. So here's the Lord of glory giving His final instructions, and then He's received up into heaven in a cloud. Now throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament especially, clouds are often used to depict the presence and power of God. They are used as a physical and tangible manifestation of the very glory and presence of God. We immediately start thinking about the Shekinah glory of God or God coming down in a cloud on Mount Sinai. Well, this is very similar to that. In our text, the Bible says that Jesus was received up into a cloud. Christostom, the early church father, said this cloud was nothing less than his royal chariot taking him back to glory. Oh, it kind of reminds us of Elijah of old, doesn't it? Uh, There's only a few people that's ever raptured, and Elijah was one of them. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. And then you have Elijah. 
But then you have the God-man ascending into heaven. And I agree with Chrysostom, royal chariot, taking him back to heaven. And the disciples, think about this, they saw this visibly. They visibly saw the ascent of the Lord into heaven. It wasn't simply a disappearing. It was Jesus returning to his Father. His earthly ministry was over. And the ascension gives this sense of finality for his disciples. In other words, Jesus has left us. He's gone back to the right hand of his Father. Just like he said he would do. Remember? This is volume 2, right? Luke Acts. Luke is volume 1. Acts is volume 2. And how many times did Jesus tell them, I must ascend to my Father? John 17 is his high priestly prayer. And over and over and over again, he talks about going back to his Father into the glory which he had before. So it underlines the end of his earthly ministry, but it also underscores his stately nature. We just went through Christmas, right? Everything about the incarnation is about an entrance that was lowly and humbling, but his exit was triumphant and glorious. So there are bookends there for us. So the man of sorrows is truly the king of kings. Now, I would have liked to have seen this scene, right? Wouldn't you? It reminds us kind of of a a birthday party when people are releasing helium balloons, right? Or perhaps you've watched the space shuttle lift off down on the Florida coast and you watch it and watch it. Most of us, we can watch it on TV, right? We don't have to go down to see it. But just think about this. We stand there and we watch and we say, I still see it. Is that it? I still see it. And it's disappearing out of sight. But as they're gazing into the sky, two witnesses appear, which I want to remind you that biblically or in this time frame, everything was established on two witnesses. And God did more than just give us a human here. He gives us two men They're appearing to be men, but they're actually angels, and they give witness to this. But remember what I told you about the teaching of the Word? Deed is always followed by revelation. Now think about this for a moment. The witnesses, angels were there at His incarnation. The deed was God becoming man. The revelation was, you shall have a son. You will call His name. Come on, folks. Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Deed, revelation. How about resurrection? Angels were there. Deed, resurrection. Explanation, he's not dead, right? He is alive. And here we have it again. We have deed, ascension, and we have explanation. And so the explanation they're giving, the two witnesses, kind of like what John Stott rightly says, he says the point of the witnesses was don't become stargazers. He went back into heaven. Now listen to verse 11. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? Uh, The NLT translates that first, looking into heaven, as straining their eyes, much like us watching something disappear. And here, the very same manner, he responds by saying, the very same manner you saw him exit this world is the very same manner you will see him return. Isn't that awesome? That's why we believe in a bodily, physical, glorious return of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not just in this text, but a plethora of Bible verses remind us of the second coming of Jesus. And here's something interesting. 
This is not going to be a secret coming. I don't know where anybody ever got out of the Bible that his coming is going to be secret. This is going to be explosive, powerful. Just like you saw him leave visibly, you're going to see him come back physically. Visibly. So the ascension is one of the central truths of our faith. The truth is vital for my salvation and your salvation. It's not merely enough to say that he died and rose again. You can't stop there. You must say that he ascended back to his Father. So we also may say that he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And this morning, I want to stop here and give you some applications on the ascension of Christ. And that's going to be our sermon. And we're going to go rapid fire. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Here's the question. Why is the ascension of Christ so vital for our faith and salvation? We're going to answer it in six ways. Here's the first one. The ascension reveals the ultimate vindication of Jesus Christ and his death. Vindicate means to absolve with any measure of doubt. There's no doubt that what Jesus did on Calvary was accepted by the Father and the debt was paid. It is vindication when he goes into glory. Now there are two sets, there are two stages of the Lord's ministry. We call it his humiliation and his exaltation. Two stages of Christ's ministry. Humiliation. That's the Son of God coming down to this world and putting on flesh like you have. That's called humiliation. Right? He that knew no sin became sin for us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes. Right? So there's two stages. Humiliation, that's the incarnation. And then there's exaltation, which includes his resurrection. But don't stop there. There's more of the exaltation than just the resurrection. It will begin with the resurrection and end with his ascension and session. S-E-S-S-I-O-N. When we use the word session today, we may say Congress is in session. We would pray they are, right? <laughs> but look, when it comes to Jesus, it, you know, when it comes to in session, it means you're seated and you're doing the business for which you were elected to do. So as the Lord of glory... As he ascended into heaven, it marked the Father's reception of the Son and acceptance of Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What an awesome understanding. This is what the book of Hebrews is referring to when it refers to Jesus doing this on our behalf. And yes, I must show you. Chapter 8, verse 1. If you can't turn fast enough, just listen fast, okay? Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of heaven in the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And the Hebrew understanding there in the book of Hebrews is the temple or the tabernacle was handmade and it was a type and a shadow. What's in glory is eternal and Jesus Christ has entered into that temple and he sat down. So it's reminding us of what he's accomplished for us and again, Chapter 9, verse 24 makes it even clearer. Listen. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he's entered into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Folks, I want you to know, if he's not at the right hand of the Father, you're not accepted into heaven. If he's not at the right hand of the majesty as our mediator, you absolutely have no salvation. The only way you're accepted before the Father is through the Son. 
And if the Father did not accept the Son and receive Him into glory, then you have no acceptance and no reception into heaven. So I'm telling you folks, the ascension is vitally important. No ascension, no salvation. No ascension, no acceptance of the sacrifice paid in full. And He is there to do so on our behalf. Y'all got that one? I don't need to repeat it, do I? No. He, the ultimate vindication of Jesus Christ and His death is, is the ascension. Number two, the ascension highlights His kingly office as He rules and reigns as the exalted Lord. Peter will address this kingly status and his rule in his very first sermon. Boy, I look forward to preaching on Peter's preaching, right? As he's, the sermons we're going to go through and see what he had to say. Uh, surely we can find out what good preaching is when we listen to some of the first ones ever preached, right? Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 36, the Bible says... Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We know in Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, we see that he's seated in the heavenlies. We know that he has all authority and all power. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 reminds us of the same thing. If you all remember Brother David preaching on that text, what we're trying to teach you is that he's not only welcome into heaven, in his vindication at his death, but he also ascended to the right hand of his father to assume his kingly office. Our God reigns. You ever sung that song before? If we're going to go back to the 90s, I think our God reigns is probably in the 80s. How lovely are the feet of him. How lovely are the mountains are the feet of him. That bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming happiness. Our God reigns. But have you forgotten this verse? He had no stately form. He had no majesty that we should be drawn to him. He was despised and we took no account of him. Yet now he reigns with the Most High. We used to leave that verse out, didn't we? Singing our God reigns. But that's what the song is about. It's about the fact that our God reigns. He entered into heaven in his ascension as vindication. That he gave his sacrifice on your behalf, received by the Father, accepted by the Father, paid in full. But he's also the king. He rules and he reigns. Had he not ascended to the right hand of the Father, he would not be the king. He would not have the name above all names. But folks, that's where he came from, heaven. And that's where he went back to. He's always had this glory and kingly Office. Number three, in the ascension, Jesus assumes his priestly office as he intercedes for his people. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, listen to this. 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but for the whole entire world meaning anybody who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? We have an advocate with the Father. The very one who ascended to the right hand of the Father is the very one who is interceding for you without delay, without stop. The writer to the Hebrews tells us and speaks at length about the intercession of Jesus on our behalf. He needed to ascend to the Father and take on his kingly position so that he would assume his priestly office and intercede for us. 
Robert Murray McShane once said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I, wouldn't feel a, I would not fear a million enemies. Well, does that move your heart, folks? What if we could actually hear the Son of God in the next room praying for us? It'd be better than a godly pastor praying for you, right? Or a Sunday school teacher, or a godly father, or a godly mother. There's no doubt that it would melt our hearts as the king prayed for us regarding our salvation, regarding our conformity to his image. And this is exactly what's going on in Hebrews chapter 7. You need to see this one. I'm going to be patient and let you get there. Hebrews 7, 25. I don't hear enough pages rattling. Just hold it up and rattle it just so I'll know you're turning something. All right. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Regarding his intercessory work. He is established there in heaven, so it is effective intercession. Right? Hey, folks, look at me. If anybody has the ear of the Father, it's the Son seated beside him. If anybody ever had the ear of the Father, it's the Son. Now listen, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Why? Since He always lives to make intercession for them. What an awesome thing to consider that priestly function. How do you know you're going to be saved forever? Has absolutely nothing to do with you. Has absolutely nothing to do whether you came to church today or not. You ought to come to church. Has nothing to do with your personal holiness or your personal faithfulness to God. Ultimately, you will get to heaven because Jesus Christ is praying for you. That's exactly what the text is saying. If he's not seated, if he's not making intercession for us on our behalf before the Father, who lives forever to make intercession, then there's no chance of heaven. How do we hear him praying? Well, John 17 is great, isn't it? As Jesus prayed to the Father on our behalf, I won't read all that, time won't allow. Think about the prayer in Romans 8. Who can lay a charge against God's elect? If God be for us, who can be against us? Consider how he prayed for Peter. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Let me tell you why Peter's in heaven. Because the Son of God prayed for him and his faith didn't fail. And that's why you're going to be there one day all Because of Jesus. You ever get up in the morning and have the attitude, I'm going to persevere no matter what happens. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to make it all the way. I'm I'm not going to miss heaven because of my delinquency. And I'm going to persevere. Sometimes they wake up and say, God, help me to pray, right? Lord, help me to read your word. But ultimately, how am I going to get to heaven? Well, all those things are important. Reading the Word, coming to church, personal holiness, all those things are important, ladies and gentlemen. But here's the deal. You're going to get to heaven because Jesus prays you safely through. That is the teaching of the Word. Folks, if He's not ascended to the right hand of the Father, if He hadn't vindicated the work He accomplished, if He's not the King, if He's not praying for us in His high priestly office, then we are doomed. Does anybody believe the ascension is important now? You've heard a sermon on it, haven't you? It ought to change your theology. It ought to strengthen your theology. If he stops praying, we are doomed. Ultimate vindication. Kingly office. Priestly office. Number four. The ascension was necessary for the outpouring of the Spirit as a crowning event, crowning gift of his resurrection, and the mediation of the presence and power of the gospel kingdom going forward. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Jesus said, it's expedient that I 
go away. If I don't go away, the Comforter will not come. So the outpouring of the Spirit was commensurate with the ascension into heaven. He ascended and then He poured out His Spirit. Had He not ascended to the Father, there would be no pouring out of the Spirit. So that ascension is absolutely central to Bible teaching in regard to the Holy Spirit being poured out. So Peter makes it clear. The Father gives the Spirit to the Son, and the Son turns around and gives the Spirit to the church. Isn't that awesome? So the ascension was absolutely critical for the pouring out of the Spirit. Christ needed, must needs, ascend into heaven. But what should we say about the mediation of His Spirit? Well, folks, nothing happens on this world today for His glory that doesn't happen through His Spirit. Baptists, you don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Um, Charismaniacs have scared us to death about this. When we hear the word Holy Spirit, we just... Surely we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, folks, it's not an it, it's a he. And he's alive. And there is no effective witness, no empowering of the gospel, no gospel advance apart from the Spirit of God that Jesus left. Jesus said, I'll send another of the same kind, paraclete, meaning one just like me, equal, to walk alongside of you to accomplish gospel advance. What Jesus did earthly in his ministry was carried on by his physical presence. What he is doing now in this world is carried on by his blessed Holy Spirit that was poured out from heaven. And that is the mediating work. Don't ever think you can lead anybody to Christ on your own initiative. You can't do it. Should you be obedient to share the gospel? Absolutely. But you ought to go in there wired this way. Holy Spirit, only you can draw somebody to the king. Only you can convict someone of of sin. And so I'm relying on the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, usually when you walk up to share Jesus with someone and they trust Christ, it's simply, completely, because the Holy Spirit of God has gone before you. The greatest encouragement for evangelism is that a sovereign God has given us His Holy Spirit that prepares hearts to receive the Word and be saved. He's the one that makes an effective witness, and he's the one that saves the witness. He, the one who gets saved, right? It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Number five. That was easy, wasn't it? The ascension is necessary for our union and communion with God through Jesus Christ. Let me show you a couple of these verses. Won't labor on it too long. If we were preaching it out of Ephesians, we would. Ephesians chapter 2, listen to verse 6. This is Paul's writings. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you see the word raised up, what do you immediately think about? Resurrection, right? In the first half of the the sentence, we're thinking about resurrection. Consider the staggering nature. Paul says that God raised us up with Christ. This is a clear allusion to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a compound word. Some of you kids will know the prefix of the word. It's S-Y-N, but if you, if you add S-Y-N-C to it, it is the word sync. You ever sync up your phone with a computer so you can listen to music? Oh, I got your attention, didn't I? Young people, y'all awake? Right? You sync things up so you can... Listen to music or move from the computer to an iPhone or whatever. You sync it up. Well, he's done the same thing for believers. He's synced you up with Christ. 
in some kind of astonishing, glorious, magnificent way. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came up out of the grave, Philip Burden came up with him. Y'all don't believe that, do you? What does it say in the text? You've been raised up with him. He's not the only one that came forth from the grave 2,000 years ago. All those who are in Christ Jesus were raised with him. That's the word of God that's so powerful. Life transforming. But that's not all. It says in the text that God seated us with Christ. Now folks, if he didn't ascend, he's not in session and he's not seated. But you not only were raised up with Christ, but you've been seated at the right hand of the Father. Meaning that our position today as priests, as born again believers... It's totally conditioned upon the position that Jesus Christ has today for us. He is seated, and you're co-heirs. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. If you want to boggle your mind a little bit more, think about this. It's going to be an awesome thing to get to heaven and find out you were already seated there. But you are seated, present tense, in Christ Jesus, in the heavenlies. If the ascension is not a reality, then that's not a reality for us today. So our communion and union with Christ, with God, is dependent upon His ascension. And number six, the ascension is the surety that Jesus will again return in power and glory. In the manner you see Him leave is the manner upon which He will return. Folks, this is our blessed hope. One of these days, our glorious God will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And the trumpet of God. Amen? First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. This same Jesus who was taken up once will come again in power. Aren't you thankful that he's ever interceding for you? Aren't you thankful for the promise of his return? Aren't you thankful that he paid the penalty in full for your sin? You're forgiven today. In one glorious day, our union with Christ will not only be through faith, but it will be by sight. You'll actually see it. There's motivation for us in the ascension. Because he's coming again in power and glory. Think what an encouragement it was. The confidence that the ascension built in the hearts of those disciples. Knowing that the Lord of glory who conquered death also ascended back to his father just like he promised. Poured out his spirit. But that's not the end of it. What a confidence for evangelism and gospel proclamation. He is coming again. The second coming of Jesus should should not be first a takeoff to draw our charts and graphs and figure out when he's coming back. The second coming ought to be first and foremost an encouragement for us to obey. How do I know that? Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now listen to this. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who loved, is the one who loved us and gave himself for us to redeem us from the curse of the law and purify unto himself a people of his own, zealous of good works. That blessed hope of his return ought to make a difference in the way you live your life. It's an encouragement for us to obey. He's coming back. Right? It's an encouragement for us to obey. But secondarily to that, or or 
in congruence with that, he's ascended into heaven. It's time for us to get to work. Is everybody listening? Is this not? Now, there's no question that the disciples fretted over the fact that Jesus is going to leave them. His physical presence was not going to be with them. That's what a lot of the high priestly prayer is about. We're about to land the plane, so listen up. It's, it's, it's coming down, slowly. All right? Now think about this for a moment. Man, they were down in the dumps, and Jesus said to them, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are... If it were not so, aren't you glad he said that? I would have told you. And Jesus said, I'm going to come again to receive you unto myself. So he writes John 14 in light of the fact that he's physically not going to be present with them. So let's don't be too hard on the disciples to say these guys are just stargazers. and they're, they're, No, think about this for a moment. They walk with him for three years. They're not going to have his physical presence with them. But they're going to have his presence in them. Right? Accomplishing the purpose of the gospel. So in the meantime, it's time for those apostles to get to work. And how much more can we say for us as our church at at First Baptist Church Ozark in 2017? How much more is it a confidence builder that the king is ascending to heaven? He's the king. He's our high priest. You ought to have confidence, ladies and gentlemen, that you're on your way to heaven. Why? Because the king is praying for you every single day. Every minute of every day, he's interceding for those who belong to him. But also... We've got a fulfillment. We've got something we're supposed to accomplish as a church. And it's called the Great Commission. And first and foremost, to be called a Great Commission Christian is that you are a witness. Right? I heard one amen over here. I like it. That'll give you ten more minutes to the sermon, right? So, fulfilling the Great Commission. It's time to go to work. The ascended Christ was the confidence, the flame that, you know, you stoke those hot embers and it flamed. Well, the ascension was like that. It was the stoking of the flame. And, of course, having ascended, he's now interceding for the church as sent by his Holy Spirit. So the teaching here is for a missionary church. Why are you standing gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was lifted up into heaven in the cloud disappeared out of sight. Back to his Father is coming again. Jesus is returning, so get Going. Now, folks, I know you and I know me. We all have a lot of difficulties confronting all of us. We have job losses. We have financial burdens. We have uh, sickness. We have all kinds of things confronting us. And you know what they do sometimes? They put a veil or a veneer over the real issue of why you're here as a believer. We get so consumed with our own petty problems and and life and following the American dream that we forget to live under the influence of the commission. I told you this before. I'm a gospel, I'm a simple Bible gospel preacher. And I'm going to keep this before you until I fall over in this pulpit or you die in your seat. Whatever. We are called to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. If it's in your vocation at your job, don't forget. Live under the influence of the gospel. That's why God put you there. Amen? 
Think about that. We, we need to live under the gospel influence. The reason he left heaven was to send his Holy Spirit. The reason the Spirit of God lives in us is so that we conform to the image of Jesus personally, but we take the gospel to the ends of the earth physically. We get the gospel out. So we all have difficulties confronting us, but don't forget you are first and foremost a witness. The church that lives for itself will die to itself. We can't be a church that lives for ourselves. If we do, we'll die to ourselves. And as the Swiss theologian once said, Emil Bruner said, a church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. And you know what I say? Let it burn, right? Burn with a flame for the king. He's our ascended Lord. Amen. I'm so glad that y'all have all now heard a sermon on the ascension. And next week, I'm going to span... A bunch of verses. Can y'all believe that? We're going to start in verse 12 and pretty much in Acts chapter 1. It's going to be called Preparation for Pentecost. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. Lord, you may have a plan to save a soul today. And Lord, if you do, nothing will thwart that plan. And Lord, I can't change a heart. But Lord, the gospel that you told us to bear, we've even shared it today. Life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ascended to the right hand of the Father. Ever making intercession for us. Saved to the uttermost. Lord, I am today saved to the uttermost. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. The fact, Father, that you received that sacrifice paid in full. And that Jesus is the King. And that He ever intercedes for His people. And we thank you for that, Lord God. If there's one individual under the sound of my voice that's lost in their sin, Lord, I pray that you would remove the scales from their eyes, the callousness from their hearts. Lord, allow your word, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word, to penetrate the spirit, to quicken their conscience and mind and heart to the truth claims of the gospel. And would you, in an emotive sense, move them to you to repent of their sins and trust Jesus only for salvation. We trust you to do that work. Father, for Christians, remind us that we have an ascended Lord, exalted, glorious King on His throne, ruling the world, accomplishing His purposes. We need to have confidence in the mission because of who you are, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.